Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back in Fight Island this week for one of their final two shows before they head back stateside. Of course, we've got the awesome UFC 254 coming up next week. But first, we got to get to breaking down UFC Fight Island 6, Korean Zombie versus Ortega. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays where we also give you the gambling advice you so badly need with underdogs and parlays that we think will be particularly profitable. Plus, of course, I've always got the interviews for you guys. This week, I'm talking with three of the fighters that are on that show. Modestus Bukakis as he gets ready for his bout with Jimmy Crew. He's stopping by to talk about that bout as well as his upbringing in the world of MMA. Mark Streigel talks about his bout coming up in the long wait that he had between when he thought his debut was going to happen and this fight. And speaking of long waits, Jamie Malarkey talks about the injuries that held him out after his fight of the night performance against Brad Riddell and how hungry he is for his upcoming bout. So we're going to get to all that great content for you right now. Alright, and joining me today is Modestas Bukagas, who fights Jimmy Crew at Fight Island 6 on October 17th. So Modestas, I wanted to start by talking about your win in your first UFC fight, because you, you get a good finish by elbows, although it kind of happens in between the rounds. Was it any less satisfying to have that, that sort of knockout not come in like a, a big, devastating, middle-of-the-round kind of way? I mean, yeah, obviously, had I had more time, then it would have definitely looked a lot cleaner than uh, than what it did. But um, and obviously, yeah, if everyone wants to have like, you know, a spectacular knockout right in the middle of the round. But at the end of the day, it still doesn't take away from from what the finish was. There's nothing that uh, would indicate that it was an early stoppage or a bad stoppage or anything like that. The shots were, you know, they, they were completely clean. I've landed those shots before and it's like you're going to leave your head on the outside during the takedown you know then then expect that to come i mean we've seen that happen with uh, johnny walker taking out ryan span in exactly the same sort of fashion so and i only had like literally what maybe like five four five seconds left to to, to get away as many elbows and i had like all the appropriate things to stop the takedown i had the overhook and then and then the other underhook on the other side and then all I hear is my dad just screaming like a madman from the corner <laughs> elbows 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 so then obviously you know from 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 the instruction of my father I just went in for it and and like I say it was exactly the same like my previous finishing in in my last cage warriors bout so uh, you know I was very familiar with those sh- sort of shots and I was familiar with placing those shots also and then you know I think there was just a lot of confusion caused just because. Of this. So there's so there's a lot of uh, um, stuff going on about people saying about this cage door opening and stuff like that. And to me, I'm like, if the guy's not standing up, then then he's not ready to fight. If he's if the referee asks him like quite a couple of times, please go to your corner, and the guy's not going to his corner, what is he ready to fight? I don't think so. If the guy has to even lean on the cage just so that he can stand up, does that mean that he's physically able? I don't think so. I mean, you've got to take, you can't take nothing away from uh, Andres. He's a very tough and amazing fighter. And I know he's going to come back and, and do very well in, in, in the division. But, you know, the fact that he'd asked him a load of times, he said that, it, like, you know, he wasn't standing up. And then 
the cage door was open and he fell and he fell backwards. It's like, well, you, you should have just been ready to go straight away. And had it went into the second round, he would have been a little bit more dazed anyways. So, I mean, but yeah, uh, at the end of the day, I've got the stoppage and I've got the 50 Gs. So I'm smiling and laughing anyways. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about the 50 Gs too, because, you know, again, you know, not for anything, but like a, a fight that gets stopped in between rounds doesn't often get the bonus. Were you surprised when you got the bonus? And, and when you got it, what, what was your first thought of what to do with it? Well, uh, I was um, I was a little bit uh, a little bit surprised because I know there was like quite a lot of controversy uh, coming into the finish. But to be honest, I think that just solidifies the fact that there was no con- controversy if they if they gave me fifty thousand for that stoppage. So clearly, they must have thought something of it. So um, obviously, it was an absolutely amazing feeling because I'd written on my board. It's actually written here right now. I, I can see it. it says I will give my first bonus fifty thousand dollars all to that all to my dad and my stepmom. And uh, that was that was a big thing for me. Like I, I, I writ, it's it's crazy how I'd written in all like my uh, birthday cards to my dad. I, like in one of them, I said, you know, Dad, next year we're gonna me and you're gonna be walking to the UFC octagon together. That happened. Then I said, listen, for for, for the next birthday, um, you know, I'm 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 gonna get you the 50 Gs, and I, and I promised it right before I left. And, uh, you know, the fact that I was actually able to, you know, transfer quite a big lump sum of money uh, to both of them after the fight, uh, that means more, 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 more than anything, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just satisfying, you know, working, working your butt off and then helping the people that have helped you. And uh, it's not going to stop there. That's for sure. Well, that, that's an absolutely touching story. Now, I wanted to ask you about your dad being in your corner all the time, too, because Obviously, we see this with a couple of fighters. You know, they're they're trained from a young age with their their dad or their their uh, parent who has a combat sports background. What what is your relationship like with your dad as a coach? Is he hard on you? Is is he you know more of the the encouragement in your corner? What what kind of coach is he for you? Um, he's a bit of both. He he definitely kicks my ass into gear. That's for sure. Um, you know, he's um. He's he's just like a I, I keep mentioning he's he's like an angel in my corner like he he's always looking out looking over me and watching out for me he always gives me the right instructions like if if I look at every single finish from my last four fights they've all been with the instruction of my dad screaming something other coming from the cage and I can always block out everything other than his voice and I can hear his voice and then it just it, it just goes straight away it's almost it's almost, it's almost like 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 witchcraft going on over here. He could literally tell me something and then I can just go and I can just go and do it, which is absolutely amazing that we have that sort of connection. And listen, we're, 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 we're best friends. You know, we hang, we hang out, we have a good laugh. I mean, we've made bloody YouTube videos uh, together. So, you know, it's good to have that sort of relationship. But then when it comes to training, he always, he would always nitpick and tell me where I'm going wrong, where other coaches may not see that I'm going wrong, which I think is what separates him from, from, from everyone else. Um, obviously, all my other coaches are really amazing also, but, um, you know, you'd expect maybe someone to be either a bit too hard or a bit, you know, but when I need to kick up the butt, he, he'll give me it. So uh, he's, he's he's definitely got the best of both worlds. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful to have him in my corner. That, that's awesome. And, and just so we know, his technical background was, was he a kickboxer early in his, his life? So he basically... Um, he just a lot of the martial arts that he learned was through really just life experience and making his own particular art called combat self-defense so 
Uh, he's actually written a book about it and everything. Um, but it's a mix between sort of traditional karate, sort of uh, street fighting and sambo. So he, he sort of mixed everything together. And back in the day when, you know, they, they had their first sort of uh, no holes barred competitions and stuff like that in the Soviet Union, that's where he was competing and, and, and doing well. And that's what he did. He basically just a, a mix of everything. I mean, I've seen him, you know, grab people's legs and trip them up and, you know, throw them on the floor, go for arm bars, you know, do devastating uh, kicks and punches and knees. So he's sort of come up from like the very early days of MMA. And uh, I, I was lucky to have that sort of tutelage from, you know, such a young age. But it's basically, if, if you're going to break it down, it's probably a mix between uh, sambo, um, karate and, and, and kickboxing. That, that's really interesting. He's like a, a, an early founder of, of NHB, which is what they used to call MMA, no old barn. So, so I got a question for yeah, you. Yeah, no, 100%. So, so then did you, you grow up watching him do that or, or he, he kind of stopped competing by the time you were a kid? Yeah. So when, when I was born, um, that's when, uh, that's, that's when he, that's pretty much right before he retired. Um, I believe he retired just when the UFC came about and I was born in 1994. So I think the UFC came about in 1993. And so he stopped right before everything sort of blew up in terms of MMA, but he was one of the first guys who, when we moved to England, who knew MMA and no one really else did. So, um, yeah, man, he, he, he's been in the sport for a long time. So he's got a lot of like sort of old tricks that, you know, uh, not, not other people know. So, uh, uh, yeah. And he's, and he's always looking to evolve and, um, sort of try and perfect the game as well. So when, you know, new things come, come about like in the new era and stuff like that, he's picking up on that. But at the same time, all the sort of old school stuff still comes into play. So it's good to have that mix of both things. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what gives me my style that I have today. That that's really interesting. Now I know too, that, that you dabbled in basketball and, and went to the United States to try to play basketball for a little while. Was was he always intent on you being an MMA fighter though? What what did he think about your your dabbling in the a basketball career? He just wanted me to be a a successful athlete. Uh, I think you know back when I was a kid. I mean you know when I started doing uh, any sort of training when I was like five, like even before, like it was like oh yeah I'll show you a cool kick and I'm just like yeah and it was all fun and games and then you know about two weeks later it's like okay we're getting serious now like there's there's no fun and games around so. It, you know, I was taught a lot of discipline. I was taught a lot of de uh, dedication to, to, to craft. And, you know, I won um, four British kickboxing titles when I was younger. So I always had like a something for martial arts. And obviously since being in it from such a young age. But I think there comes a time when, you know, you've been literally, no, no, not exactly. Oh, I guess you can't really say, I mean, forced, like, you know. I still wanted to do it, but you know, you're a kid. You you want to you want to mess around. You want to play around with your mates. You want to do other things. You want to play on your PlayStation. And instead, I had to go and train. You know, three three hours of martial arts. So it's like uh, th those sort of things that really sort of helped me. But at the same time, it made me want to try and explore other sports because I realized I did have a bit of an athletic 
uh, prowess over some of my classmates. So I tried other things and uh, yeah, I actually played tennis. And then after that, I played I played basketball and then I got to a good enough level to where um, I, I flew out to the States for high school. Uh, I wanted to get a, a scholarship to play in Division One, but uh, unfortunately that didn't happen. Um, I actually played American football for a little bit. Um, I played as a defensive end. So I actually do keep up with uh, with a bit of the American football and stuff like that now. Um, j- j- just because I, I and I used to love it, like they they used to do tailgating and stuff like that. It was it's quite a, quite a, quite a crazy experience that that us Englishmen don't really, uh, uh, you know. I think any anyone who, who who's sort of a young person in England wouldn't get that same sort of environment that you that you lot do in America. It's definitely the, the way to go. I, w- I wish they had that over here, and especially like the strength and conditioning and and stuff like that. So I think yeah, my dad he he probably he just wanted me to be successful in any sport that I'd done and he would have been happy for me to do anything. I don't think he necessarily would have wanted me to go into the fighting route just because he knows what a dangerous sport it is. But, uh, again, you know, he, he hinted the fact when I finished high school, you know, do you want to come back home and you can start doing MMA? That was my last chance to become a professional athlete and do it at the top level. And for me, that was my, one of my goals of life. I wanted to compete at the highest level in any chosen sport that I'd done and be a professional. So, you know, and not only that, I, I, I want to be the champion now. So, you know, uh, everything's got sort of going in, in that direction. And I'm glad that I've had those experiences because they all accumulatively, you know, without knowing it has helped me to where I am today. It gave me athleticism. It given me uh, more speed timing, you know, like I say, the Americans do it right when it comes to strength and conditioning in in high school, especially because, I was playing for um, a school where they were very good in their respective sports, especially in basketball. So those things are transferred into uh, into MMA and, it, and it's made me a much more more explosive athlete. So as much as my dad may have, you know, may, may have wanted me to just keep carrying on training, fighting and improving my skill set, I gained a lot of attributes where I probably wouldn't have got it if I had stayed home. That That's really interesting. Now, I, I do want to talk a little bit about this fight, too. So. Hey, you come off of a really good win, like you said, over Andreas Michalaitis, who who is like a lesser-known guy. He was also making his UFC debut. And right away, they give you Jimmy Crew, a guy who has fought some of the really top guys in this division. He's fought ranked guys. What what were sort of your thoughts when they said, uh, you know, the name Jimmy Crew in, in, in a guy who's that high up? Well, straight away... I knew he was extremely tough and very skilled. And, you know, he's he's one of the top dogs in the division. And straight away, I was like, I want to fight this guy because uh, I like having challenges, man. I like to put myself against the toughest competition. And you're in the UFC. You're going to fight the toughest guys no matter what. You can't you can't duck him, you know, for, forever. Like, you're going to have to fight these guys at some point. Why not fight him now? If I believe that my skill set's ready at this moment in time, and I know what I'm capable of and what I can do in there, then why not fight that guy? As soon as they told me that name, I said, I want to fight this guy. Uh, especially when I heard, you know, like he's had three pullouts from different um, from different guys in the top, you know, at the top of the division and stuff like that. So for me, I was I just jumped at the opportunity. I wanted to fight. I wanted to get a quick turnaround and I got it. And I, I was very happy because I'm in training. I'm, you know, and I know that I've got a hell of a lot of skill set left to show. But I just, you know, I just haven't been able to. I haven't been given the circumstances to do that. So, you know, with the confidence in my ability, the confidence in my team, and the confidence in what I can do and and, and what I want to do in the sport, of course, I was going to take uh, on, on on a very tough challenge. Yeah, it, you know, people may seem 
may think that's a very big step up and and which it is but like I say I feel like I have the the skill set to take this guy out but of course I know he's extremely dangerous and there's a reason why he's three and one in the UFC and uh so young and doing so well so uh, I'm going to be prepared for that well, we're certainly looking forward to it. Once again, fans, this is Modestus Pukagas, who fights Jimmy Crew at Fight Island 6 on October 17th. Modestus, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, mate. Always a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. And that interview with Modestus Pukagas is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu. It does not matter. They have got the app for you because they help you track all of your training sessions so that you are meeting your goals. Plus, they've got other great features where you can tag friends, you can log your competitions and weigh-ins, and so much more. Make sure to check them out wherever it is you download apps. And joining me today is Mark Striegel, who fights Sedner Magomedov at UFC Fight Island 6, Korean Zombie versus Brian Ortega. So, Mark, I got to ask you, obviously you were supposed to debut all the way back in August. You got sick and you had to be pulled from the card. How tough was that for you both physically and mentally knowing that that was, you know, supposed to be your debut? Yeah, you know, it definitely was a, it was a bummer. I mean, we were three days from the fight. I was at the fighter hotel um, well along with my weight cut and then I tested positive for COVID. So it sucked, of course, but... um, you know, thankfully, I was able to get rebooked pretty fast. And, um, and uh, yeah, I beat uh, COVID in like 10 days. Thankfully, I, I uh, recovered quickly. And, um, yeah, here we are. And, and I know that you do a lot of training in Asia or have in the past. And, and now I see that you're training at Syndicate MMA in Vegas. It, was that sort of necessitated by the fact that you were, you know, like stuck in Vegas and needed a place to train? Or was that sort of a plan all along? That was that was part of the plan. Um, basically, um, yeah, I am based in the Philippines. I uh, I live with my family in Baguio City, Philippines, which is in the mountains up north. Um, but I do most of my training in Manila, and I'm signed with Ruby Sports uh, and Entertainment. And they told me that if I could find a way to get from the you know from the Philippines to Vegas during these uh, crazy COVID times, that there would be a really good. Uh, chance that i could get on a ufc card so i found a way to get to, to you know um to vegas it was it was hard with the travel and all the all the travel restrictions from asia but uh, made it over here and then of course uh yeah i got tied up and linked up with the guys at syndicate mma started training there and then got the ufc opportunity contracted covid um beat covid and then got rebooked for this fight on fight island so um, yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, to be honest. Yeah, that that is a wild ride. Now, I, I'm curious too. You you said you you decided to go to Vegas and kind of wait for the opportunity, which I, I know a lot of fighters are doing. How long were you waiting there, sort of away from your family, before you got that call to to fight Timor Valiev back in August? Yeah, I, I I got to Vegas end of July, and I was in Vegas for ten days when I got the call that I would fight in another ten days. So it was it was pretty it was pretty fast, you know, so it was, uh, you know, I got over I got over jet lag in about a week. And then boom, they were like, all right, you're fighting in 10 days. So it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty it was pretty wild, you know, and then, and then getting COVID, of course, and I was, you know, I was taking all the I mean, traveling all the way from the Philippines and flying from Philippines to 
to Korea, then to LA, then to Vegas. I was so careful. Um, but you know, you can never be too careful with these things. And it's just so, uh, yeah, it's such a easily contracted, uh, virus that, uh, yeah, I got it still. Yeah, that that's wild. And, and I guess it's good that you haven't had to be away from your family for that long before you got the call. Just 10 days is pretty easy, but I, I assume you haven't gone back to the Philippines since that cancellation. Has that been one of the tar- harder parts of this cancellation? No, no, definitely. I mean, I've been away since end of July, so it's, uh, you know, it's uh, over almost, what, two two months? It'll probably be, it'll be almost three months um, come the fight on, uh, yeah, 17th. So, um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things. I miss my family. My wife is, uh, well, I have a one-and-a-half-year-old uh, baby boy, and then my wife is also pregnant right now with our second uh, second uh, child, which is going to be a girl in June, December. So I want to be there, for, of course, uh, for the for the for the baby. Um, have to be there by December. So that was kind of our our agreement. She was like, you know, go to go to Vegas. You can't turn down this opportunity. But um, you know, get get back in time for the birth of our second uh, child in December. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So I assume after Fight Island, it, it's not flying back to the States, not flying back to Vegas. It's just back to the Philippines from there? Yeah, that's that's the plan, actually. We're going to fly. I'm going to fly straight back from Abu Dhabi, straight to Manila, and then um, go up to Baguio and uh, be with my family for the holidays. Awesome. Now, and I, for I'm, the baby, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. So <laughs> I, I'm curious, you know, you said, you know, the plan was to link up with somebody in Vegas. You found syndicate. Obviously John Wood comes highly recommended in a lot of different people's books and they have high yes. level training all over at syndicate, you know, Mike piles there and you know, lots of great trainers. Is that a place you plan on going back to? Or once you're back in the Philippines, once you're, once you're back in Asia, are you going to kind of step back to where you were working all along? No, I mean, of course. Um, yeah. My plan is to come, come, come back here. Um, for camps, I mean, Syndicate MMA is uh, it's a great gym. I have uh, only good things to say about uh, head coach uh, John Wood and about um, all the training partners um, and other coaches there, um, other assistant coaches. You know, it's been uh, it's been a great camp, and it's um, it's amazing to work with so many so many high level people on a daily basis, and just the amount of of people passing through the doors too that are kind of just you know in town for for training or or just passing through the amount of people that come by just to just to join us and train. It's um it's amazing, you know. So um definitely in the future I'm planning on coming back here um as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, are are you living like in a in a dorm near the, that gym? Are you living in a hotel? How have you been managing this this like three month span? <laughs> I'm I'm staying at uh, a place that uh, they provide for some of the fighters that uh, that uh, through the gym. Um, that they provide for one of the houses that they provide for um, some of the fighters that come in from uh, internationally. So nice, that's very awesome. Yeah. So so no, I got I got I got a good setup here. Thanks. Now, now let's let's talk a little bit about the fight too. You're fighting Sedner Magomedov. He's a guy who who we've seen some ups and downs within the UFC. He he looks really tough. He, what were your thoughts when they offered to his name? Was it just I'm pumped to be getting back in there, or you know, did you know a little something about him already? To be honest, I, I'd never heard I'd never heard of him before, you know. Um, I mean, I heard of the last name, of course, um, <laughs> you know, but uh, I'd never heard of uh, him, and um, I had to Google him, look him up, and um, yeah, more than anything, 
more than anything, just excited about the opportunity. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I came all the way from the Philippines for this opportunity to sign with the UFC and to test myself against the best in the world. And, and it's, uh, yeah, it's been an absolute journey, an absolute adventure, roller coaster ride. And just to get this opportunity from fighting at the Apex Center, and then that got canceled, and then now to fight, you know, in Abu Dhabi on Fight Island, which is such a cool thing in itself, you know, going to Fight Island. It's so cool what the UFC has done um, over there and set, setting this this island up for fighters to compete. You know, it's it's uh, it's a blessing, and um, I'm just super, super stoked on the opportunity. And I did want to ask you, too, about, um, you know, because you mentioned a couple of times in there, you know, you're from the Philippines. There's not a ton of Filipino MMA fighters out there right now, and, and certainly not too many in the UFC. Is there a reason why you, you got into the sport of MMA particularly and, and not maybe some of the other martial arts you see in, in the that part of the world? Right. Well, well, I, I was born and raised in Tokyo, Japan, actually. I'm half Filipino, half American. But um, I was born and raised in Tokyo, Japan, because my parents are international school teachers. And uh, um, I grew up wrestling. I grew up doing um, doing freestyle wrestling, and I got into MMA soon after. And then I moved over to the to the Philippines um, right after college. So, um, you know, combat sports and martial arts have always been very close to my heart, and I've always uh, I've always been training, and I've always uh, excelled in in a one-on-one sports um growing up so um yeah no it's it's exciting to represent the philippines in the ufc um there 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 are a lot of good filipino fighters out there a lot of good filipino boxers um in mma most of the most of the top filipino fighters are currently in one championship but um yeah i want to do my best to represent the philippines uh, in the ufc now. now now you mentioned you were born in the late 80s growing up in the 90s Living in yeah. Tokyo, Japan, I got to yeah. imagine you were a big pride guy. No, is the oh, pride a big part of your 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 history? <laughs> yeah, no, you you guessed right, one hundred percent. I mean, that was that was really my inspiration to get into uh, to MMA. I mean, I would uh, you know, this was the pinnacle of MMA at the time. You know, Tokyo, Japan, Saitama Super Arena on New Year's Eve, you had three shows going on simultaneously. You had K1 Heroes, you had Inoki Bombay, and you had Pride, of course. So, I mean, mixed martial arts, fight sport in Japan was so big at the time, you know. Can you imagine that three three shows on New Year's going on simultaneously at the same time, all the packed arenas, you know. So, I mean, uh, yeah, growing up in Tokyo during the 90s was was an awesome experience and definitely... Definitely is a large part of uh, why I became a fighter because I was I was first first and foremost I was a big fan. Absolutely, and, and you said you were a wrestler too growing up, which we can obviously some of that in your your MMA style. Yes. Is there a, a an MMA fighter whose style you you like to emulate from those times? From those times, um, not not really, but I was I was just a big fan of uh, all the Pride fighters, you know. I'm, I uh I went to an interna- I went to an international school in Tokyo, Japan. So sometimes I would actually uh you know um I'm just going out and uh in my later years in like college um I would bump into some of the fighters uh I'm going out to Ro- in Roppongi in some of these areas and clubs and uh you know I bump into Yamoto Kid or bump into uh Vanderlei Silva 
uh, Nogueira, Shogun. So it was, it was really cool just uh, seeing these guys and then meeting them in person and uh, seeing that, um, you know, that they were really down-to-earth, chill guys and just killers, killers in the in the ring and uh, just, uh, just uh, competitors. Absolutely. Well, now you're signed alongside of them. And uh, unfortunately, it's time for us to wrap this interview up. I got one more question for you. I like to try to get a prediction out of every single fighter I talk to. How do you see this one going with Sedner Megamedov? How do you see this one ending? Um, you know, I'm not one to give predictions, but, you know, I expect to get my hand raised and I'm confident that I'm going to get this victory. And um, I think I'm going to bring something that uh, he's never seen before. And I'm going to put uh, pace and pressure on him. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Mark Striegel, who fights Sedner Megamedov at UFC Fight Island 6, Korean Zombie versus Brian Ortega. Mark, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Thanks, man. Have a good one. And that interview with Mark Streigel is brought to you by ProPace Sports Metrics. You can follow them at ProPace app on Twitter. It's an application that's launching later this month that allows you to have the features of a striking gym right in your home or garage. If you love the interval timer that you have at your gym that's got sounds when the round ends and stops, they've got it. Plus, in addition to that, they also have custom noises that tell you when to strike, and it keeps track on whether or not you're keeping up. That's right, they deduct points, they count things, they score your strikes, and then at the end of the workout, you get a score. It's really awesome, and plus, if it's moving too fast or too slow for you, they got five different levels to choose from so that you can reach whatever goals that you have. So once again, you can follow them on Twitter. They are launching later this month at ProPace app. That's ProPace Sports Metrics. All right, and joining me now is Jamie Malarkey, who fights Ferris Zaim at UFC Fight Island 6. So, Jamie, you know, obviously you have that absolutely amazing bout with Brad Riddell in your debut. You, you cashed the 50K for fight of the night. I know some injuries popped up, and then obviously this whole pandemic and travel issues. How, how frustrating is it that you haven't been able to sort of get back in there and right the ship? Oh, very frustrating. Um, it's been, yeah, it's been a year now between fights, which is something that I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not happy about. But it, it just the way everything went down. Um, I got injured after in the lead up to my second fight. I was scheduled to fight um, Jalen Turner at, in February uh, in New Zealand, and yeah, we we were training hard for that, and I bulged disc in my neck and um, pretty much had a uh, impinged nerve so I lost the feeling in my arm and I had to go get surgery and get my disc shaved and um, all the rest of that and then straight after that the COVID hit so that put pretty much everything and everyone on hold so it's been a frustrating few months but um, it's good to be back and good to be at the, at the next fight. Absolutely. Now, I just want to ask you about that injury, too, because obviously that sounds incredibly painful. How long were you out of training due to that injury? Um, so I was out from when, from when I got the injury. I tried to push through and still do the fight. So that was like two weeks of training with the injury, and it was getting unbearable, and like it was getting to the point where I couldn't lift my arm. And I was, I, I knew something was pretty, pretty bad and like pretty serious. 
Um, I knew it was a nerve damage, but then I went and got the CT scan, uh, got an MRI, and it basically showed that my disc was compressing my spinal cord as well. So, um, and then my my nerves down my arm was pretty much I was losing my my nerve and uh, and the feeling of my arm. So, um, that was two weeks, and then we had ten weeks to surgery. So. Then we had basically a eight week recovery or twelve week recovery after that. Really, so I was out for like, yeah, best part of three to four months. Wow, yeah. So I imagine that that on top of not getting to fight is tough. You know, I see too that you know if if you look at Brad Riddell since since that fight. Not that I want to keep bringing up your opponent, but but he's rattled off three wins at the UFC. He looks super impressive. People are real hyped on him. And really, you gave him one of the best rounds we've ever seen, you know, him fight in the UFC. Is it frustrating seeing him do so well? Is it sort of vindicating for you that, you know, he he is, you know, one of the top guys in that division right now, and, and you did so well against him? Yeah, no, it's not frustrating at all. Um, I'm, you know, like, I'm, I'm probably rooting for him um, to do well because he's a fellow Anzac. Um, and... Yeah, it's it's good for me seeing him do well against other people because, you know, I took that fight um, on a couple of weeks' notice and put up a pretty good scrap. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, uh, it's, it's good seeing him do well. Absolutely. Now, you said that your fellow Anzacs, which is true, there's so many in the UFC right now, so many doing really well. But I did want to highlight, too, you're the first ever from the central coast of Australia. Is Am, am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that particularly meaningful for you, that you're the, the first to really come from, from your region, that you're the first to represent that part of your country? Yeah, 100%. It's um, oh, it's, oh, it's very, very uh, fulfilling and um, makes me very proud to, to represent where I'm from, um, the Central Coast. And there's been a lot of tough fighters, a lot of good luck. We've got so much talent from where I'm from. Um but, you know, like, you know yourself that so, like, out of all the people that are good, very few make it to a platform where they can um, make a career out of what they do, um, whether it's fighting or any other sports. So, no, it's very, very proud and uh, fulfilling for me to be the first person um, from where I'm from to, to actually make it in the UFC and get this Red Oak track. And you mentioned other sports in there too. I heard that you used to do some rugby. You used to play some rugby. How did you transition from the sport of rugby to MMA? Uh, it was in the off season. I was just um, trying to do something to keep fit. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't a standout rugby player, but I was all right. Um, <laughs> and we're going back. We're going back like ten years. So that was basically when I put it hung up the, the boots for footy and um, started uh, just full-time training um, training in mixed martial arts. And, and what inspired you for that to be your off-season routine? You know, you, a lot of people could do a lot of things in the off-season. What, what made you think, you know, I want to go get punched in the head in the off-season? I started watching The Ultimate Fighter Season 7, um, the one that Amir Sadala won. So... That that got me. Um, I was just watching it with my brother, thinking like this stuff's crazy, and 
uh, started just seeing the skills and the the different forms of fighting, and I was just fascinated by it. And I sort of looked up if there was anywhere I could do it, and then I went and trained at this place and threw a kid in an armbar, and I was like, I was just obsessed, just hooked on it. And, and you, so that was first day kind of stuff. You you threw up an armbar. Is that just from having watched stuff, or were you messing around with your friends and, and learned a little bit? No, I went to the class and we just learned how to stop an armbar in the class. And then um, at the end, uh, the, my my coach, uh, you know, said have a go and have a have a wrestle with each other. And then I, I threw a kid in the in the exact technique that we just learned the armbar, and I was just wrapped. <laughs> I love it right right from the get go. Now I did want to talk a little bit about your fight too because you're you're here fighting Farisam, uh, a French guy in the UFC. He had a fight, you know, against a, a really tough opponent in Don Madge. What, what were sort of your thoughts when they offered you him as an opponent? Were you just excited to get back in there, or, or did you know anything about him? I said yes before I even knew his name. I just, I wanted to fight anyone and any, you can imagine after the layoff that I didn't want to have, and um, I was absolutely itching to get back in there. So when my manager called with the, the opponent, uh, I didn't even ask for his name. I just said yes. But um, it's a good opponent. It's it's a really good opponent for me. Uh, I think I think it's a good matchup uh, stylistically, and I think I bring him a lot of a lot of trouble to the table, a lot of um, a lot of bad news. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that bad news. Now, before I want to let you go here, I do want to see if I can get a prediction out of you. How do you see this one ending when it uh, comes down this upcoming weekend? I think it's going to be a finish. Uh, I'm not sure how I'll finish him, but it'll be whatever presents itself, whether it be um, knockout or submission, it, it will be a finish. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Jamie Malarkey, who fights Ferris Zame at UFC Fight Island 6. Uh, Jamie, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. All right, guys, well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Jamie Malarkey as well as the ones before with Modestus Bukakis and Mark Strigel. I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland, and I am now joined by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, everybody is talking about that Joaquin Buckley KO of Impa Kasangane. It is one of the craziest KOs in history, but here's what I'm going to ask you. Where do you rate it in terms of the best KOs in history? It's a great KO, Gumby. There's no doubt about that. It's the KO of 2020. Maybe the KO of the last five years. In history, I don't know. I'd like to talk about that at the end of the year. I feel like I, much like a lot of other people, am lost in the immediate aftermath of how cool it was. So, I'm, you know, it's, it's easy to quickly say it's the best KO of all time. As far as the uh, time that it happened, the stakes, if you will, I don't think it's historically anything to write home about. Um, It looked cool as hell, but I also feel like the best KO of all time. I mean, you know what Connor did to Jose Aldo in three seconds. uh, If we're counting, mm, you know, knees, fists or kicks, I still think Masvidal Askren just being that they were two bigger names. Again, the time it took, I don't know. It, it's it's up there for me, but I don't know that I'm ready to say it was the best KO of all time. What do you think? 
So for me, it depends on how you define best KO of all time. If you're talking about technique and it being like unique and fun and like taking a high level of skill, I think it's definitely up there. I definitely think we should talk about it as top five. But if you're talking about it in magnitude or level of opponent, like, you know, he fought a guy in Bikasangane who I love. I've interviewed a couple of times. I'm a big fan of. But the guy has been a pro for two years total. So, like, you know, if we're talking about magnitude, the magnitude of this is is so low. So if if you're talking about technique, maybe it's up there. If you're talking about magnitude or somehow combining the two, it's probably just barely on the fringe of the top 10. Because like you said, you got, you know, Masvidal and Conor McGregor and Holly Holm knocking out Ronda Rousey. And like all of those go up there. You know, the, the H-bomb on Michael Bisping and things like that. But but as far as techniques, this was one of the most unique things next to like the Yair Rodriguez back elbow, which was also up there for me in terms of like just holy shit, that's weird kind of moves. Um, but yeah, like, I think that that's, you, you have to put it in its place in history in those regards. So, and it makes me think of also what makes a unique KO or a great KO. And this was a great KO. Don't get me wrong. Um, with Yair and the up elbow, the, uh, six to 12, if you will, elbow, um, it came, you know, what was that? 459 in the fifth round. Yeah, so basically like, <laughs> a buzzer beater. So that gives the stakes better, but here's what makes a great KO. One is like the technique that is used to pull it off, which was awesome because, you know, it one foot was being held by his opponent. So he's literally generating all this power, not off a back leg with minimal, you know, like dexterity in his hip to rotate. He's generating all that power from the actual kicking leg. So that makes it super unique and cool and almost out of a movie because it seems very improbable. But part two of what makes a great KO is the actual, and I hate to say it and you hate to see it, but the reaction of the person getting KO'd, I mean, it was like dance moves, right? It, it It was almost scary to watch. So I feel like that actually makes me think, it could be the greatest KO of all time because it was that two-part thing. Like Ben Askren, he just dropped to the floor. Jose Aldo, he just dropped to the floor. That sent his opponent into unconscious, unconsciously dancing, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of uh, when uh, Edson Barboza heel-kicked Terry a team and his arm just got yeah. stuck in the air. In that, like, like he was asking his teacher a question in class. Like, it, it kind of reminded me of that. The dude was, like, still up for a second, and you're like, ugh. I think it, for some reason the slow fall makes it so much more brutal. <laughs> the slow fall. Well, I have a question for you, because we're going to get into our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays for UFC Fight Island 6. But before we do that, my question, Gumby, is, does any great company sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, it does not matter. They've got a way for you to log your training sessions, your competitions, tag friends, and all kinds of other great features. Check them out wherever it is you download apps. All right. Well, this is a very exciting main event, and we, of course, will start at the main event, as we are known to do in Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Uh, 
We have the Korean zombie. Uh, he has a bit of a blood feud, if you will. Real pro wrestling vibes to this with Brian Ortega. Uh, apparently, Ortega got into it with Korean Zombie's manager at a UFC event in the stands. Uh, this is when Korean Zombie went to uh, go to the bathroom or something like that, and they started jawing at each other. And Actually, I'm not even sure if it was his manager or just a friend. He might even be like a Korean rapper. I don't know. You can go on to TMZ and look up what happened, but perfect for the UFC, right? Because it makes for a great promo. We think these guys really hate each other. Who freaking knows? But they are two great fighters. Uh, the Korean Zombie is coming off two wins in a row. Beat Hanato Moikano via TKO uh, back in June of 2019. And then in December of 2019, TKO'd uh, the legend, the godfather of the UFC, if you will, Frankie Edgar. We always hate to see that as big Frankie fans, but proves the point that the Korean Zombie is no joke. He lost via KO to Yair Rodriguez uh, back in November of 2018, beat Dennis Bermudez before that via KO in 2017. The guy is a finish machine. If he's not hitting a twister or a darse choke, he's getting clean KOs and TKOs. Who doesn't love a good Korean zombie match? What it all adds up to is since the long layoff when he served time in uh, the Korean military, he's 3-1 and one, with the one loss being to Yair Rodriguez. And that makes him a minus 185 favorite. Brian Ortega, we haven't seen him in about a year. Uh, he lost to Max Holloway in a title fight. Really got brutalized by Max Holloway uh, just when it came to stand-up. We know Ortega could be a slow starter, plenty of come-from-behind wins. Uh, but he w was outclassed on the feet against Max Holloway. Um, and he was stopped via TKO in the fourth round. That was back in December of 2018, so it's been more than a year. It's actually been almost two years since we've seen Brian Ortega. Before that, he was undefeated, wins over the likes of Frankie Edgar, Cub Swanson, the aforementioned Hanato Moicano, uh, Clay Guida, once an up-and-coming star who we just haven't seen in two years, and that's going to make him a plus-160 dog. Very interesting fight. Who you got? I'm going to go with Korean Zombie on this one. And you sort of outlined one of the reasons why I feel that way is that Brian Ortega is kind of a slow starter. And as a result, you know, you like him against guys who will let him get his feet wet in the fight. That's one of the reasons I liked him in the Frankie Edgar fight is that Frankie Edgar, not a guy who comes out like a bat out of hell. He likes to feel out his position and like, you know, build up steam as the fight goes. Whereas, like, if you look at him against a guy like Clay Guida, you know, Brian Ortega was losing that fight against Clay Guida. Two rounds to none, in my opinion. He lands a flying knee knockout with 40 seconds left. So, you know, th that guy who starts fast against Brian Ortega is a guy who can beat him as long as he doesn't get caught in a stupid submission. Like, you know, uh, who, who is it? Cub Swanson who got caught in the submission by him. Chan Sung Jung is not a guy who gets caught in dumb submissions. The guy is an absolute beast on the mat. And actually, I think as far as the wrestling game is concerned, probably has an advantage over Brian Ortega here. And, and, and Chan Sung Jung is not a guy who waits to get his, his hands bloody. You know what I mean? Like, he gets right freaking in there. Look what he did to Frankie Edgar when Frankie Edgar tried to get his feet wet early in that fight. He just absolutely drowned him. So, you know, for that reason, I like Chan Sung Jung to come out here 
fist firing and probably just put it on Brian Ortega enough so that even if he doesn't get Brian Ortega out early, I like the idea of him probably of wearing out Ortega badly enough that Ortega ain't going to be able to finish him in the championship rounds. So it's, this is a really interesting fight to me, and I wish that Ortega wasn't coming off the two-year layoff because I don't know what to expect from him. I actually think him going against Max Holloway and being as outclassed as he was probably taught him a huge lesson. I think Ortega has room to grow as a fighter. I don't think we've seen peak Ortega yet, whereas I think we kind of know who Chen Sung Jung is at this point. And that's not taking anything away from him. I think he's an absolute killer and a beast, and uh, he's a great all-around fighter. Grappling for grappling, I actually do think Ortega is better. I know Chang Sung Jung has had some flashier MMA submission, highlight reel-worthy uh, submissions, whereas Brian Ortega, it's just kind of like triangle, triangle, triangle. But I happen to cr- trust, you know, at the end of the day, someone trained by Henner Gracie, more than I do uh, Chen Sung Jung, who I get the feeling just kind of checks in at a 10th planet um, and maybe isn't, you know, fully dedicated to that. Or I don't know. I, I just, I find Ortega, I, I think Ortega could potentially sub him late, but I also don't know coming off a two year layoff, what he's going to look like. So I too, am going to take the Korean zombie, but I just wish that this wasn't Ortega's comeback fight. I wish Ortega was coming back against a, you know, five to 10 opponent or someone hovering around the top 10. So I could really get a feeling of who he is post the max, uh, destruction. Yeah. Yeah. You'd like him against somebody like Calvin Cater, you know, like that, that was a match I thought would be kind of fun. Calvin Cater versus Brian Ortega. But I think you're right. And I think while I give Brian Ortega the advantage on the mat in a jujitsu sense, I just don't see him being the person who brings it there. You know what I mean? Like, as far as a wrestling sense goes, Chan Sung Jung working at Korean Top Team or MMA Lab or wherever he's doing his camps for the most part, which I'm, I'm assuming is different being that we're in, in the pandemic. But, like, regardless of whether he's doing it at either of those two places or working at a temp planet occasionally, I still like his wrestling better than I like Brian Ortega's. And that means Brian Ortega doesn't get a choice of whether or not this turns into a grappling match. And that worries me for him because I I don't think he's got the stand-up to put Zombie away. Jessica Andrade, the former strawweight champion, which kind of seems like a flash in the pan or just almost like a weird dream you had because she slammed Rose Namajunas to win the title, uh, then lost to Wang, uh, Zhang Wiley uh, in the first round, got absolutely brutalized, TKO, and then and then excuse me, came back and lost again, or sorry, lost to Rose Namajunas, evening the score one to one. So she's now on a two fight losing streak, but to the top of the division. That was a split decision loss too, but again, two fight losing streak coming in to face Caitlin Chukagian who's coming off a win over Antonina Shevchenko via unanimous decision, lost to Valentina Shevchenko via TKO before that. So back-to-back fights for Caitlin Chikagian against the Shevchenko sisters went one and one against them. I wonder how many times in the history of MMA that's happened where someone's faced a sibling pair back-to-back. But that being said, she's one and one in her last two. Is Chikagian the plus-125 dog? Andrade, the former champion who never actually defended her title but did win it, uh, and is, of course, a former champion, a minus-145 favorite. Who are you taking? 
I think I'm going to go with Andrade in this one. You know, I, I like Caitlin Chokagian, but the problem is here for me is that Chokagian's path to victory is pretty simple. Chokagian needs to keep distance and just rack up points. You know, like she's not going to knock out, uh, you know, Jessica Andrade. She's not going to submit Jessica Andrade, despite the fact that she does work in the blue basement with, you know, the likes of Gordon Ryan and, and John Donaher. I, you know, I like that she pulls for heel hooks and fights, but at the same time, if you're on your back against Jessica Andrade, you're not having a good time. And, and my worry here is that, remember, Caitlin Chokagian gave up three takedowns to Valentina Shevchenko. She gave up three takedowns to Joanne Calderwood, noted Muay Thai specialist. So now she's going to be fighting somebody in Jessica Andrade, who, who's a little spark plug in, in addition to being a much stronger fighter than she's used to fighting. She's also shorter and she's going to get in on those legs easier. And and to me, you know, somebody who racked up 10 takedowns against Tisha Torres, like Jessica Andrade did to me, I think she's just going to have too much of a field day taking Caitlin Chokagian down. She's probably going to brutalize her with ground and pound and win a pretty easy decision here. If not get a TKO stoppage. I agree with everything you say. I don't see Chikagian subbing her. I, and that's even with the fact that she works in the blue basement with John Danaher. And I don't see her knocking her out. It's got to be a outstriker, uh, outpointer affair. The only thing I can think is, could she pull off a Hail Mary heel hook of some kind? Being that she is working with uh, the aforementioned John Danaher, I kind of agree with the odds on this one. I think they're perfectly placed. I'm not opposed to taking Chikagian on the off chance that she is able to pull off a sub. But if we're taking that out of the equation, she's just going to have to outpoint her. I don't see her knocking her out. I feel like Andrade has more paths to victory, and that's why she is the favorite. We'll move on to Thomas Almeida, a minus-130 favorite against Jonathan Martinez, a slight dog at plus-110. Who you got? So, for me, this is a tough one because we don't know what to think about Thomas Almeida. The last time we saw him was on January 20th of 2018. He's almost been out of the sport for three years. That fight card was headlined by Francis Naganu versus Stipe Miocic, which we're now on to talking about the rematch after both guys have fought three times. So, like, it is incredible that he hasn't fought in that long. But remember, when he was fighting that long, he was fighting guys like Rob Font, Jimmy Rivera, Cody Garbrandt. And actually, I picked him in that Garbrandt fight. Now, granted, that was a bad pick. But, like, he, he was a guy who was at the top of the sport there for a second. And, and we're talking about Jonathan Martinez, a guy who's 3-1 and one in his last four. Although, I would argue, he won that fight with Andre Ewell and should really be 4-0. But he's a guy who's been active and a guy who's got big KO power. You know, I, I, if we're talking about, you know, Thomas Almeida coming back and being the Thomas Almeida that fought all those other guys, that fought Albert Morales, that fought Jimmy Rivera, I might pick Thomas Almeida, but, you know, being a three-year layoff, I think I'm going to go with Jonathan Martinez because I like what I've seen from his hands. I think he's very tough in there, and he's going to be hard for, for somebody like Thomas Almeida to get out. And in addition to that, Martinez's big weakness is his takedown defense. And Thomas Almeida is shooting a big whopping 0% on his takedown accuracy. So I like Jonathan Martinez here in a stand-up battle. All right, no arguments for me there. Our underdog of the week <laughs> is Mark Strigel over Saeed Nurmagomedov. 
Yeah, I'm taking Mark Strigel here. Even though I'm about 50-50 on this fight, I flip-flop back and forth about 100 times. Uh, I just talked about it on my Cremlin podcast, and I, I think officially I took Sadner Megamedoff. But I said it's a coin flip in this opinion. But at plus 325, if you get those odds on something you think is a coin flip, you always take the underdog there, right? Because that's going to pay off more often than it doesn't. And, and the interesting thing about this fight is Nurmagomedov is a guy who shoots a lot of takedowns and really hasn't been all that successful. And in, in fact, I actually think the best part of his game is his kickboxing, despite the fact that he, I, I think he, even he knows his last name and instantly thinks to himself, oh, I have to be a dominant grappler, right? Because like, you know, you're, you're related to the, the grappling goat right now. You know, like, why wouldn't you go to it? But he's fighting a guy who's a combat Sambo champion. That's right. The guy from the Philippines is the one who's the combat Sambo champion who grew up doing American-style wrestling in Japan. Like, the, the guy is an absolute beast. He's physically strong. And I just see that if Sedner Megamedov thinks he's going to body up Strigel and try to go to his wrestling, I really think it's going to be a bad outcome. I think he's probably going to gas. And I could see Strigel stealing two out of these three rounds. So, at plus 325, I think... It is definitely a coin flip type fight, but at those odds, I think you have to play Strigel. I have to think in the history of our fights, dogs, and parlays, we always try to pick a dog that we think is going to win, not just a fun dog, not just a dog for a dog's sake, but a dog we think has a good chance of winning. I don't think we've ever picked anyone at over plus 300, if I'm not mistaken. So just very interesting to think about that, uh, that that is our dog of the week at plus 325. Yeah, that that is probably one of the biggest ones I picked. I definitely I definitely dabbled picking against Kamzat Chimeev when uh, Gerald Mearshart was fighting him. Really glad I didn't because that would have come off sounding very dumb. But at like plus 600, that was like so interesting to me. I had a little money on him because I thought that was fun. Uh, but yeah, de definitely, um, this is probably one of the biggest ones I've ever picked. Our parlay to play, Jillian Robertson, a minus 245 favorite, and Jamie Malarkey, a minus 130 favorite. Put them together, you're going to get yourself plus odds at plus 150, break her down. So I like Jillian Robertson. She just got her Dean Thomas black belt the other day, which, first of all, a huge feather in her cap. But she's 3-1 in, in her last four fights, and all of them being submission victories. An absolute killer and an absolute finisher. She's fighting Poliana Botelho, and, and the thing about Poliana Botelho, she has a noted grappling weakness, which is why Roberts is coming in at negative 245. I think it's an easy play at that price, because as long as she gets one or two takedowns, this fight's over. She's going to get the submission. I also like Jamie Malarkey here. He's a guy who went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Brad Riddell in a fight-of-the-night performance in his debut. And the thing is, he didn't have to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. You know, like if he leaned a little bit more on his grappling, we might have seen him come out of that fight a little bit better. Obviously, you know, easier said than done to just grapple up Brad Riddell, but I really like Jamie Malarkey's wrestling, and I think here, you know, he's fighting a Frenchman who had trouble with the takedown in his last fight. So we're looking at a pair of fighters here who both are very good grapplers and are fighting people with noted grappling weaknesses. So I, I like the odds on Malarkey at negative 130. I like him at Roberts at negative 245. But of course, if you've got two favorites that you absolutely love like that, getting plus 150 for both of them, hell of a package. Well, I'll tell you what's a hell of a uh, punch and packs a hell of a value for your dollar. That's our Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We hope you enjoyed it this week. Gumby, that wraps it up. 
for the fights, dogs, and parlays portion of the show, why don't you wrap up the show as a whole? And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without Flow Combat, the mothership, or our sponsors, Maroon Social and Pro Pace app. Make sure you get those both of those apps. And remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, and he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll see you then.